This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, good morning, good afternoon to everyone out there here listening to us live here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff. I'm your host for the next 30 minutes here, Dr. Jeff Werber. And um, just hope you had a, a great week uh, wherever you are. I hope you're enjoying some sunshine because we certainly here in Southern California are enjoying a lot of sunshine. Like um, a couple of days this week, we had triple digits. You know, the one difference that we see here. As opposed to many parts of the country, they're also that hot. Number one, in the evening, we can get a 30-degree drop. I mean, literally, it could be 100 degrees during the day and drop down to a nice, cool 70 at night, which is pretty cool, literally. And our heat is dry, so it's we don't get that muggy. We don't have a lot of the same you know, issues, and it's not like walking into a sweat box. So uh, it's not so bad. Now, in the desert, like Arizona and Vegas, oh, my God, it's 110, 115 degrees almost all day at night. At night, I remember flying it to Vegas once, and uh, I was uh, doing uh, a segment for their, their Fox affiliate, and I went the night before. And I'm landing about 10.30 at night, and pilot gets on uh, Southwest. You know, Southwest trying to be cutesy tootsies. I thought they was just joking. And he goes, oh, and it's a real mild 110 degrees. And I'm thinking, yeah, 10.30 at night, 110 degrees, right? Yeah, 110 degrees. It was crazy. So um, anyway, hope, uh, hope you're, you're staying comfortable and your pet's are staying comfortable as well. Uh, speaking of our, our pets and, and being here live on the show, I want to thank our sponsors. And they are Save the Site Microchip and Brevecto. You need Brevecto. A lot of fleas and ticks. Once every 12-week protection. It's great, certainly more than a cone. And you probably need the cones too, because if your dogs are like many dogs that I see this time of year, they are chewing themselves raw because of allergy. Many of them have a hot spots. If you have a golden retriever during the summer, you are seeing hot spots. There's no doubt about it. And um, anyway, one of the things we always encourage is we have to keep those dogs' tongues away from those skin, away from those lesions. And it's time for that Elizabethan collar, the cone, whatever you want to call it, the cone of shame. Uh, yeah, they need it too. Anyway, before we get to talking about some uh, preventive tips for this crazy heat that many of us are experiencing, I do, as you know, I like to uh, go through news and I uh, picked up a, a couple of interesting stories. One is that I don't know how many of you encounter groundhogs on a regular basis. We don't. I don't. But they're out there. But the Maryland Zoo in Baltimore had a groundhog that was more than just a regular groundhog. It was, believe it or not, a groundhog that was infected with rabies. And what's so interesting is they're not always very social creatures. They're not going to, they're going to see you and they're going to go into the ground. Uh, you know, we are just predators to them. So that how they knew that something was wrong with this particular groundhog is it started following a zoo visitor. That's a very unusual behavior. And um, so sure enough, they captured it and realized that there was neurologically something was, uh, was astray and they ended up testing it for rabies. So they were putting a call for anyone who potentially had contact as of June 24th with this particular groundhog at the Maryland Zoo should uh, go see officials. And then speaking of weird diseases, many of us like bourbon. I'm a single malt Scotch guy myself, but I like I have some really good bourbons as well. And uh, But I did not realize that there is a bourbon virus. This one is the one, the bourbon that you don't want to have. So much so carried by ticks. 
as many of these uh, infections are. And um, a Missouri woman, 58 years old, who was bitten by a tick, had two ticks on her, oh, about a month and a half back, went, uh, pulled them off, didn't think twice about it, and started feeling rotten, just signs of a fever, went to the doctor, thought maybe it was a urinary tract infection, treated and treated uh, accordingly. P.S., she dies. And the diagnosis was this very rare bourbon virus that is transmitted via ticks. So that's frightening. Just It goes on to show you, there was a little video that I saw about recommendations from the CDC about getting ticks off of you. And you hear so many stories, you know, the Vaseline, touching the match, you light a match, you blow it out, immediately you, and then you touch it to the back of the tick, and supposedly the tick's going to go, ah, and release its grip, and you can remove the tick. But what they're saying is what they've learned is what it manages to do when you start messing with this tick, it pisses him off. And they actually then release more saliva. And if that saliva is harboring one of these infections, whether it's, you know, babesiosis or lichiosis, Lyme, this or this bourbon virus, whatever it is, Zika, you know, that whatever these ticks could carry sometimes, that's more of a mosquito thing, but whatever they can carry, and it is, you get them angry. So the best thing you do is grab with a tweezer, a very sharp point tweezer, as close to the skin as possible. You want to squeeze the tick, not to squish it, just to get a good hold of it, and very gently. Now, what I usually do is, if you can, I have one of those tick pullers, which is, in essence, it's a tweezer, but it's made for this. So you can actually, after it licks, it links onto the tick and locks in place. You can turn it, and you almost like slowly unscrew it, almost like you're unscrewing the tick, and they release the grip, and you can take it, throw it out, and they recommend flushing it down the toilet. But if you have just a really fine tooth tweezers, You want to grab the tick as it's latched onto your skin, and you want to gently, and I mean gently, steady, gentle pressure, lifting it up slowly. Because if you do it too fast, what's going to happen is the mouth parts are so dug into your skin that they're going to stay, and you will separate the rest of the tick from the body of the tick. And um, you're going to have still something stuck in there. And these are really tough. It's like an embedded splinter. It's so tough to get out. So the best thing to do is is work slow, work steady, and when you get that tick off, toss it. But don't aggravate the tick. They don't like to be aggravated. Anyway, that's pretty weird. So this is a great plug for microchips. And this is a story about June. June is a mixed-breed, year-and-a-half-old dog that went missing. She ran away from her home in Mobile, Alabama. She's gone for about a month. And all of a sudden, the owners get a call from a veterinarian in Dodge City, Kansas, and they have June. Now, wouldn't it be great to find out, just if you could talk to the dog, I'd like to know what this, how the heck did this dog, June, get from from Mobile, Alabama to Dodge City, Kansas? Now, interestingly, I had a dog that got away once, and here in LA, and he was found and this is way before microchips. This is years and years ago. We still, you know, relied on the, on the tag and calling the shelter and reporting the dog lost. And anybody who knows, here's my number. Here's the tag number, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so we found the dog, finally get a call from a guy, a gas station, about five and a half miles from our home. Now, you know, LA streets are pretty dangerous. And having to get from where we live to that gas station crosses a number of major thoroughfares. I don't think that happened. What we think was he must have gotten picked up, maybe by someone in a pickup truck. And then when he was four or five miles away, he jumped out of the truck and ended up at this gas station. So that's more like, I'm certainly, June did not buy a ticket and fly from Mobile, Alabama 
to Dodge City, Kansas. So there had to have been a way she got there, and that's a trek. But the good news is June is reunited with her family back in Mobile. So uh, I saw this story, and I, it really kind of struck uh, close to home with me because when I was trying to get to vet school, and not an easy task, I'm sure many of you know, I was one of the dummies. And even though at the time, the average accepted student at UC Davis, which is where I went to school, applied three times. I actually applied four times. And when, after my third rejection, the dean, I went up after all my rejections. Because for, oh, first of all, I should add that Davis, in its infinite wisdom, had decided since it was so competitive and there were so many great students applying, you know what? We don't need to meet these students first. Let's just accept them based on their grades, their scores, maybe their application, their narrative. But we don't want to meet them. Well, you can imagine that no offense to my, any of my classmates that might be listening, but I would say it to you guys' faces as well. There are so many nerds and people that, well, let's put it this way. There's over, over two-thirds of my classmates are no longer practicing or maybe practicing part, very part-time, which is going to lead me to a, another story in a minute. Anyway, the deed permissions told me that, that I would never get into vet school at UC Davis. I should pack it up, give it up. Fortunately, I didn't listen to them. Anyway, one thing that I had more than any of my classmates Usually, they like now, it used to be less. I had over 3,000 hours, but there's a reason for it. I'm going to read something to you that I um, copied, but it talked about that programs so much work experience, and there's a good reason. So this is, uh, I found very interesting. It says, veterinary medicine programs are competitive, expensive, and grueling, and many programs require candidates to have experience working with animals to ensure students understand the professional challenges as well as the rewards. So basically, burnout and depression are common among students and practitioners. And listen to this. One in six veterinarians have considered suicide. The American Veterinary Medical Association, as they struggle with compassion fatigue and other stresses, including the high debt-to-income ratio. That's pretty scary. So first of all, for any of you out there, and I, I lecture at my high school every year. Uh, they have something called Career Day, and I've been going there and lecturing there for 20-plus years because I want students to know, yes, if you have the right mindset for veterinary medicine, anything in the world. I used to teach students, these high schoolers, I say, oh my God, it's the best thing in the world. You get to work with animals all day, great people, you know, whatever. It's, it's fantastic. And then I realized, wait a second, in my era, in this high school, from the time my older sister started, were four of us, to the time my brother, my little brother graduated, was a nine-year spread. Nine years of classes. In those nine years, this particular high school, not a small high school, by the way, graduated four ultimate future veterinarians. I'm the only one of the four working in LA. Well, actually, one was working in LA, but retired last year, two years ago. Good friend of mine, Dr. Marty Schwartz. And then my friend, Mark Laxanetta, who graduated a year after me from high school. He is practicing equine large animal medicine down in San Diego County. And a, little, a guy in my little sister's class is in Colorado practicing on horses. And I'm realizing I had 50 kids, two sessions of 25 kids every career day. And I'm thinking, what are the chances based on that number of four veterinarians, future veterinarians in nine years, but certainly in four classes, you want to you know, not count every year, but look at four grades. What are the chances of those 50 kids, one of them becoming veterinarian? It's minimal. So I now, I really paint that picture of you really need to be committed. And I asked by one question, by show of hands, how many of you have already worked at a vet hospital? How many of you have done something? And one, maybe one hand goes up. I said, you know, you're the one that has a chance. Because by the time I was in high school, God, I had worked so many jobs. I, I lived at veteran hospitals. And I was a nature counselor in a summer camp. I mean, I did everything, always about animals. What the schools are saying is, we need to make sure that you are ready for this. 
And um, I know of a couple of veterinarians that unfortunately did succeed in committing suicide. And I didn't realize there was one in sick. I always thought dentists were the, the, the lead because at least people, certainly the animals, love coming to the vet. I can understand maybe a pediatrician because their patients are scared to hell. And dentists, everybody hates the dentist. So I could see maybe more dentists when I heard that statistic years ago, the dentist led it. I said, ah, oh, that makes sense. But uh, I didn't think veterinarians were one out of six. Anyway, we're going to break real quick, come back and uh, have more to talk about. If you want to get a hold of me, please just give me a call, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also join us here live on Google Hangouts. Just log on to Pet Life Radio, click on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and there is a link to the Google Hangouts page. We are standing on right this second, and we'd love to see you and talk. Don't go away. We're right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. You know that feeling when you go to clean the litter box and it's a complete disaster? Yeah, we've got you covered. Introducing World's Best Cat Litter Zero Mess, the advanced litter that gives you two times better clumping and more odor control with less litter. Zero Mess combines the concentrated power of corn with super-absorbent plant fibers. Translation, scoop once and you're done. Find it at a pet store near you and save $2. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. As a dog, I know a lot about fleas and ticks, so trust me when I say no other tasty chew protects dogs as long as Brevecto. One Brevecto chew keeps fleas and ticks away for up to 12 weeks. Be a good human and ask your vet about Brevecto. Brevecto may cause vomiting. When I adopted her, she was a mess. Scabs, itching, licking, missing fur, hot spots, a thin, dull coat. So I take the dog to the vet for the standard run-of-the-mill tests and treatments. No results. I hear your advertisement on the radio. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. So I get the five-pound box of Dynavite and the Lico Chops within a four-week total. Instead of a German Shedder, I have a German Shepherd. Sheba is a 105 lean pounds of shiny, smooth, happy dog for life because she gets fed Dynavite. And the results, they're just incredibly outstanding. And she loves it. When you rescue a dog, you have to do the right thing. You've got to feed them right for life. Do the Dynavite. Dynavite for life. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio dot com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Gerber here in Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And before the break, we were talking about the, the, the issues with difficulty and how important work experience is for future veterinarians. So if any of you out there that are truly thinking about this profession, I would say, number one, you have to have the passion. Uh, it is a passion-driven profession. If you are, uh, you know, that's my theory, interestingly, and this is my theory. It's not be happy to, to share the logic behind it. But in fact, just yesterday, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine that are lawyers, and they 
are also seeing issues in the legal profession. It's almost like they're just, it's swamped right now with lawyers having a tough time finding jobs. And what I find is, this. here's my theory. Uh, when I was in that school 30, well, I started a long time ago, 37 years ago. And um, we were actually the last class at UC Davis to have more men than women. And then the trend started. The year after us graduated in 1985 was 50-50. And now the trend, as many I'm sure you know, about 80% of graduates across the nation, veterinary schools are women. And one of the problems is that when you think of this graduation, after graduation, debt for graduate DVM is somewhere in the ballpark. AVMA says 135000 When I talk to, I think it's more. I think it's closer to 200000 and it's by the time you you know factor in all your expenses, not just tuition, it's expensive. And unless you're you own your own practice, unless you are you know somehow spread your wings and come up with different things to do and different sources of income, it's a really tough thing to do. And I think that because incomes don't match necessarily up with someone's skill level and guys, especially. And let's face it, it's we're still in a society where yes, women work and it's great, but most that want to you know get married, have families, really want to put the pressure on themselves to be providers. And it's tough to provide on a veterinarian salary unless, as I said, you own your own practice or you own more than one practice, or you figure out some other ways to capitalize on some income opportunities working with animals. So I think that the guys seeing what goes on in the financial world and these MBAs and these Wall Street people and these, uh, this guy, Jeff Bezos, the guy just started Amazon, billionaires. I mean, literally making fortunes. So these very, very, very bright people that typically would have gone into the veterinary profession are saying, God, you know, I'd love to do it. I love animals, but I can go work here and make this kind of income and I can get as many animals as I want. Or I can start a uh, rescue. I can start a zoo. Who knows, right? It's so interesting that you, I believe that's why veterinary medicine has become, as we call it, a part-time profession. Most, most women veterinarians that I know of have their families and that's great. So what's happening is it's taking more and more women to fill a, a full-time slot in the veterinary world. And I think that's why, and let's face it, competitively, academically, there's totally quality. I just think what we're seeing, it's not that there are more women being accepted in relation to women that are applying, 80% more women applicants. When I was going to Davis, applying to Davis, UC Davis Veterans School at that time, 50% of their class acceptances came from UC Davis undergrad. But if you look at the number of applicants from Davis undergrads, it was 50% because more and more people, pre-vets thought that if I, go, if I go to Davis undergrad, I'll have a better chance of getting in. So they went to Davis undergrad and therefore they applied from Davis undergrad, but it was still 50%. If you have the passion, I would 100,000% recommend it. It's the best thing I have. Zero regrets. If I could do it all over again, despite the fact that I partied a little too hardy, it is the best thing in the world. But do know a lot of hard work. This little blurb says from the American Vet Med Association, grueling, competitive, and you're not going to make a fortune. If you want a job, that's going to you know, pay you, pay you on a salary, two, three hundred thousand dollars a year, you're not going to find it. Uh, go to become a racetrack veterinarian and become one of the top. Yeah, you can make yourself three, four hundred thousand a year. But other than that, it's probably not going to happen. And like I said, unless you want to be you know, very entrepreneurial, own your own practice, start a product line, uh, do something else in the pet world, yes, then you can do something. You can make that kind of money, but it's not going to be easy. Now, one of the things that was a little blurb about, of course, and I've said it a million times, preventing heat stroke. And I realized, you know, we should be doing more than just preventing heat stroke. In fact, the key to the success of treating many conditions is to prevent them. If you prevent them, most of the diseases that we deal with, if we can, are easier to prevent than they are to treat. So, and less expensive as well. 
So I was thinking, you know, here it is summertime. I opened the show talking about the extreme summer heats in many parts of the country right now. Very, very hot here in Los Angeles. And there's some of the things that we deal with during the summer that we can prevent. For example, fleas and ticks. We talk about, you know, flea and tick medications. They are readily available. Very important. We know that fleas carry their problems, you know, certain diseases. Ticks certainly carry many more diseases. We have to be very, very careful about heartworm, mosquitoes. Now, in, again, I'm, I'm a little bit skewed because here in LA, we don't have a lot of mosquitoes. I do have my pets because we have a, a pool and, and there's a lot of moisture in the back and a lot of foliage in our yard. So I have my dogs on heartworm prevention. But it is very important for most of the country this time of year. I mean, certain parts of the country, it's all year. But you get down to the southeast, the Gulf Coast, it's muggy all year round. And these dogs need to be on prevention. The most, interestingly, the most heartworm disease that we saw in my practice out here in Southern California was getting these dogs from Katrina. I would say almost every one was heartworm positive. So it's something to do with, and treatment when it comes to treating these pets is expensive, potentially dangerous. You have to be very careful how we treat it. So I would highly advise if you live in an area If you are swatting mosquitoes, if you know they're there, make sure to have your dogs tested and start prevention right away. If, of course, you have a young dog, usually younger than five months of age, you want to check with your veterinarian. Often these dogs do not need to be tested because the life cycle is such that if you start treatment to a dog that's five months of age or younger, you can go straight to prevention because there are few adults are just the microfilaria. Spay neuter, a good time here. You can't use certain excuses. Like, oh, you know, it's the days are short, it's cold, uh, um, I have no one to watch the dog. It's summertime, your kids are home on vacation, days, you have nice long days. So uh, if you're going to do it, do it. It's highly advised, as we always say, adopt, don't, don't shop. We have too many dogs out there. There are so many dogs. Dogs are being put to sleep in our shelters, they say one every three seconds. So it's very important to get out there, have your dogs fixed. Now, again, new studies, and I'm totally okay with waiting till the first heat. Studies on, obviously, we know the breast cancer relationship. There are questions about dogs that end up with urinary incontinence as older dogs, possibly because they were spayed too early. How about bone cancer? Bone cancer, there are some studies that supporting the notion that there are certain positive effects of the sex hormones on growing slash developing bone to prevent that bone later in life from developing bone cancer. So therefore, many now are advocating for large breeds, the large breeds, any dog that gets bone cancer. The study was actually done on Rottweilers, but I I can pretty much bank that there's no specific problem in a Rottweiler bone that no no other large breed has. I think that we can extrapolate any dog that is prone to bone cancer, and these are usually the large breeds. If you want to wait and let them become sexually mature first and neuter spay them when they uh, are about a year of age, I'm all for it. I would do it for my own dogs. Prevention. Oh, vaccines. A lot has been said. Vaccines are essential. However, well proven now have been over-vaccinating. We are vaccinating unnecessarily. Bordetella, I like to talk about core vaccines. These are vaccines in an area that are, this is that we're protecting against are somewhat endemic. Uh, here in LA, lifestyle, outdoor lifestyle. Yes, the I hate to call it kennel cough, but the Bordetella bronchoseptica vaccine. Now, is the rattlesnake vaccine core for here in Southern California? Is it core for where you live if you live in the city? A Lyme, Lyme disease vaccine. Well, if you live in the Northeast and we have you know a lot of tick problems carrying Lyme, I think it's worth it. At least seasonally when they're out, again, check with your veterinarian and the prevalence of the disease in your area. But 
Do I vaccinate my dogs or recommend it for my regular patients? No, because it's not endemic. When it comes, we really have to customize our vaccine schedules based on our pets, our pet's lifestyle, and the disease prevalence in the area that you live. It's not just like some of these chains out there. I will not mention the names, but I believe I have before. You know who I'm talking about. We do not need to give 18 vaccines to a dog who lives in a high-rise apartment in New York, Chicago, Detroit, Los Angeles. You just don't need all these vaccines. You got to look at the dog's lifestyle and what is the likelihood that they're going to become infected by this organism. So talk to your veterinarian and get smart when it comes to these things. But it's kind of important to just have that feeling. So what I do is I uh, distemper parvo. We are seeing now that dogs are mounting an immune response tremendously longer than the year. So now if you notice, most of the manufacturers have gone to three-year vaccines. It's the same vaccine. So what does that tell you? What does it tell you that we, they were said, oh, it's the same vaccine here. It was good for a year. Oh, now it's good for three years. Meanwhile, those of us that are testing through tighter testing and some of the experts are testing and we're finding, wait a second, not even three years. How about four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years? There are some out there saying that as with us, you vaccinate a puppy, you do the annual booster a year later. And then, and some don't even think you need the year booster. I I follow the guru here in town that does advocate for the one-year booster. That means a year after the last of the puppy shots. And then she's saying, you know what? I don't think we ever have to vaccinate again. So I've been doing tighter testing. And I I have to tell you, I've had very, very few that need the vaccine. As a matter of fact, what I've done in my practice, I think you might want to talk to your vet. If you want to have a vet call me, it is an easy, easy thing to do. I say, I'll tell you what, Mrs. Smith. You tighter when it's time, every two years, maybe, maybe three, let's tighter. If at any point that tighter comes back low, meaning the antibody level is not protective, I'll tell you what, I'll throw in the vaccine for free. That way they can't lose. You get the test, it's better medicine, it's more pet individually, and you're covered just in case. Anyway, for Pet Life Radio, love this soapbox. If you have any questions, anything you want to talk about, I get anything logical. When it comes to logical medicine, I'm your guy. Just do me a favor, send me an email to Dr. Jeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. Come and join us on the show, 877-385-8882. It's free, free advice, or you can join us on Google Hangouts. We'd love to see you, love to talk to you here live. And um, also, if you want to follow me, I'm at Dr. Jeff Weber, D-R-J-F-F-W-E-R-B-E-R. You'll see tons of pictures of my, why I always have a smile on my face because you get to see what I get to see every single day. Thanks again to Save This Life and Brevecto and More Than a Cone. And we'll see you here next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.